on this episode of Startup the Science. At Grown Wealth, we are saving lives through innovation. 1.35 million babies are born with a congenital heart defect each year. Of these, 400,000 have heart valve defects, but there is no durable heart valve replacement on the market. We are fulfilling that unmet clinical need with a completely new prosthetic valve for adults and children alike, a once-in-a-lifetime solution that is affordable for patients and healthcare providers worldwide. Hi, Boris. It's really great to have you on our podcast today. Thanks for, for taking the time to chat with us. Great to be here. Yeah. Thank you. So today we're talking about Grown Valve, a startup that we very much like for a lot of reasons. One of them being that you're also based in Berlin like us, but the main reason being that you do amazing work, which was also proven by the fact that you won our last uh, accelerator program, our last edition of Admocom. So I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself a bit and tell us what Grown Valve is for, for our listeners who might not have heard about you yet. Okay, great. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm, my name is Boris Schmidt. I'm CEO of uh, Gronwerf GmbH, situated in Berlin. We are a spin-off of the Charité University of Medicine in Berlin from the Department of Pediatric Cardiology. And uh, we are working on pediatric heart valves, as there's not a single pediatric heart valve on the market yet. And uh, we are doing this for the last um, eight years or so and are now in the situation that we are about to finish our uh, animal trials and we'll take hopefully the next big step, which is uh, going into clinical studies. So you mentioned there is no pediatric heart valve on the market at the moment. Um, so maybe given that you're a doctor and you have a lot of context on this as well, can you tell us how things work right now without this, uh, this solution? And what is the problem that your, your product is solving? So you have to imagine that um, congenital heart defects are the defects, the human defects with the highest prevalence. So one in 100 children is born with a congenital heart defect, and many of them involve heart valves. Uh, and on these heart valves, we either have to operate or we have to replace them. And if we have to replace them, then we are at the moment obliged to use either um, animal heart valves from porcine or bovine material, or we get heart valves from um, children who died from any cause, and uh, we get these heart valve transplants then. But these are very seldom, luckily, for the children. And um, as you can imagine, if we use animal-derived heart valves, then uh, the immune system of the child will act against the implant. And um, this implant will calcify and will degenerate after some time so that we have to re-replace the heart valves. Or smaller children, they just grow out of their heart valve replacements. And again, we have to re-replace them. In consequence, all these children have to undergo several heart valve operations. That means open heart surgeries with cardiac arrest and intubation and ventilation and hospital stay of about three to four weeks um, during their lifetime. And you can imagine what this means for their families, for their parents, for the uh, siblings that uh, they they miss one child for four weeks at the table. Uh, they cannot play together anymore. And 
Sometimes, of course, uh, we have complications and this is a big burden for the families uh, and also for, for our society because uh, the costs are enormous. Yeah, the, the costs and also, as you were mentioning, the costs on, on the children, on the families that, uh, that have to go through this whole thing. So we are talking about children that are born with conditions. So this means the first surgery would be when, when they're newborns, essentially, and then they get several replacement surgeries over the course of their life until they reach, until they reach what age or what, until they reach maturity or, or until when? Right, until adulthood. And later on, again, this doesn't end. I mean, there's not the perfect heart valve on the market yet that you can implant and it will stay for a lifetime. And that's exact what we, exactly what we are working on. Uh, we want to develop uh, the first heart valve that can really stay in the body for a lifetime um, from childhood to senior. And uh, we achieve this by using Uh, your body's own material. So um, you might ask, how, how do we do that? So in cardiac surgery, uh, if you operate on the heart, you often you have to regularly open the pericardial sac, which is like a bag, and the heart lies in that bag. And by this bag, it is separated from the lungs and from the sternum and other organs. And... We go through this sack normally to um, enter the heart. And this pericardium, the sack is called pericardium, is a beautiful material. It's very thin, very elastic, strong. It's about 200 microns thick. And it is grown in your body. So um, you can use it as a, as a material which is there and which is not absolutely needed for the body. For example, in cardiac surgery, we regularly have to leave that pericardial sac open because after surgery, the heart is a little bit swollen. So you cannot close it because then you would kind of squeeze the heart into that sac again. So leave it open. And that means that you don't really need that sac for the heart function. This gives us the chance to use that beautiful material to create something out of it. For example, heart valves. So that's your, your base material. And um, I don't know, intuitively, I would think that the heart valve has to grow with your body, right? Or grow uh, size-wise, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't need those replacement surgeries that you would no longer need in this case. So that sounds like a very complex operation. It sounds like a lot of, a lot of elements need to come together. You need to understand how this material that you take from the body is going to work over time. You need to obviously understand how the body is going to react to it. It sounds very complicated. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, a bit more detail about the technology? So the material is taken from the body. That's the first part that, uh, that we get. What else needs to be there? Yeah. So the material is a living material. So it has the possibility to grow because it would grow as a piece of pericardium. It would grow anyways. So there are the cells in it. There are the growth factors in it that can provide growth if you don't disturb them too much. This is why we use this material as a living material in the OR. And from that material, we kind of shape an individual heart valve. And this is our key technology, so to say, how to, to shape that heart valve from the pericardium. 
We do this by use of several technologies, including computed tomography or magnetic resonance tomography, the reconstructed heart valve, 3D reconstruction, 3D printing of that heart valve, and producing a mold. You can say we use the patient's diseased heart valve, make a mold out of it, repair that mold in the computer, and then uh, we use that mold to shape the pericardium over it. And uh, then we fix the pericardium on that mold. And by this, the pericardium keeps that shape after we remove uh, the mold. In the beginning, you have a flat pericardium. In the end, you have a three-dimensional heart valve uh, made from pericardium. And this is then sutured into, into a stent. And then we use quite simple and uh, normal technology, transcatheter heart valve implantation, uh, which is not a big deal then anymore. But it sounds like a very big deal when you think about <laughs> the overall process. Um, it sounds a little bit like a science fiction technology of, of the future. So um, you mentioned 3D printing in there and quite, quite a few parts go into, into this process. What stage are you at in testing whether this works? Has, uh, has a heart valve been uh, created yet, implanted, um, or are you at, a, at an earlier stage in the development process? Um, no, we are quite advanced, I think. Um, we are at the end of the second animal trial. In this trial, we have shown that we can produce heart valves from animal material from the pericardium. We can implant them um, via transcatheter technique. And we have shown that they uh, work very well up to 20 months. This is our longest follow-up in animals so far. It's much longer than required by the authorities. This was one good side effect of the corona pandemic that we could not go into the stable to investigate the animals. So we had to let them in the stable and uh, time ran and um, we gained more experience with these animal like heart valves. And um, of course, you not only do in vivo testing in animals, but you also do in vitro testing. So we produce these heart valves from slaughter horse material and um, go into the valve testing procedure in fatigue testing, where you run um, several million of cycles um, to show that uh, the heart valve is strong enough to virtually stay in the human body for um, years. Before we get to the rest of this episode, we would like to take a moment to tell you a few words about one of our AdmaCom sponsors. AdmaCom stands for the Advanced Materials Competition, and it's our two-week accelerator program for startups in advanced materials. Berlin Partner for Business and Technology has graciously been an ongoing sponsor of the program for quite some time now. Berlin Partner's mission is to provide business and technology support for companies, investors, and scientific institutions in Berlin. With customized services and an excellent science and research network, Berlin Partner provides an outstanding range of programs to help companies launch, innovate, expand, and secure their economic future in Berlin. So if you're thinking of Berlin as your new HQ or the location of a subsidiary, reach out to Berlin Partner. They've got your back. Check them out at www.berlin-partner.de. And now back to our show. 
Yeah, so we, we know from, from having worked with a few other medtech startups that if we think the go-to-market journey is long for a deep tech startup in general, for a medtech one, it's uh, maybe twice as long because of all the testing and all the legal requirements around it. So when do you think or when do you hope this product will be available as, as a kit for surgeons to use for its intended purpose for, for surgeries on children? We are um, handing in our uh, application for the first clinical study at the moment. And of course, this needs some, needs some time to, to be re-evaluated. And um, we, we think that we might be able to start our first clinical study mid of next year. So one year from now, um, we are applying for funding in parallel uh, because such studies are quite expensive. Of course, it might always be that the authorities have... Uh, some questions that we then have to answer. So it might be take a little longer. This product or this technology will be first available for younger adults with congenital heart valve defects. Why? Because from the legal standpoint and ethical standpoint, it is important to, to prove that the valve is safe for the patient. It is more ethical to ask young adults who can decide for themselves whether they want to have that heart valve or not instead of asking young children or their parents and young children cannot decide by themselves. So the first study will be in, in seven adults followed by a second study which will then be uh, in animals, school kids, um, given that uh, the first study is, has a positive outcome. And do you know where these uh, these will take place? Will it be in Berlin and in, in Charité, or do you already have a partner in place for that? Yeah, yeah, you're right. We, we will start in Berlin uh, with the Mono Center study at the Charité and at the German Heart Institute here, here in Berlin, because we have the infrastructure here next to our startup, and we we know the operation theaters, we know the cath lab, everything. Uh, so there's no additional learning curve. And uh, then we have already um, talked to potential partners for multi-center study, which will be in, um, throughout Germany, in Leipzig, in Freiburg, in Munich, but also uh, in other cities of Europe, uh, for example, in Lisbon, in Milano, in Milan, Italy, and London. And um, yeah, we hope that we can roll out the monocenter study, then soon into a multicenter study. That's amazing. So um, I asked about Charité because you mentioned in the beginning as well that you are a spin-off of Charité. So maybe you can tell us a little bit how this project uh, started and who else um, is in your founding team. We started from a, a large uh, single-stage European uh, project called LifeValve. And in that project, uh, we were together with our um, partners from the University of Zurich, Eindhoven, Vienna, and Debrecen in Hungary, and um, together with some companies. And um, in this first project, we tried to and achieved to um, grow heart valves um, by tissue engineering and um, using body's own cells seeded on a polymer structure and then grown in a uh, bioreactor. 
But we have learned during that project that it is um, a very complicated, time-consuming and um, personal intensive process, which can only be um, performed at a handful of uh, labs worldwide, perhaps. And that is, is difficult to make this uh, as a mass product. So we narrowed down the process. We started to think how we can um, make this process more lean and faster. And this was in 2013 when we started to, to, to do our own hardware research as a team at Charité and German Heart Center. And yeah, from there on, we developed until today. And now your your team has grown quite quite a bit in the meantime. Um, I imagine we we met during Admocom a few of your colleagues. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the the core expertise that you need to bring this project to life? I know you have uh, biotechnology engineers in your team, cardiologists. Um, we obviously organize a competition in material science, so there's a bit of material science involved as well. A lot of things, three D technology. Tell us, tell us more about your, your skills. Yeah, you're right. We are a very interdisciplinary team. Um, I'm working in pediatric cardiology and um, we, have a pedi we have a cardiac surgeon there. We have an anesthesiologist, veterinarians for the animal trial. Then, of course, we need engineers. As you mentioned, we have material scientists and we have someone who tests the hard valves in the testing devices. We have to deal with toxicology because our um, netting solution, the cross-linking solution, of course, might be toxic in higher dosages. So we have to deal with that. Biotechnology is a big part of our project. These uh, disciplines, they've been just um, medical and associated disciplines. But what is very important now is that we also have expertise from Uh, the side of the regulatory bodies. We have to deal with the problem. How can we take such a product to the market? Because it is not a, it is not an ATMP. It is not a typical medical product. It's not a, a pharmaceutical. What is it? Is it a biological? So we had to deal with that problem a lot. And um, we also need um, the support of lawyers. So it's really a team which is very um, colorful in its uh, composition, uh, which is, makes it also very interesting for me as a doctor. I learned so much about um, regulatory and about the market. It's very interesting. And uh, we get in touch with many other people, including investigators from, from journals and investors um, who are potentially interested to invest in our, our company. You not only give away a lot of information, but you get a lot of information in this process. Yeah, I can imagine it's quite quite a change from uh, from maybe your your day to day life as a doctor to going into entrepreneurship within a very multidisciplinary team. Um, so I think you might actually be the first medical doctor that we interview that has started a company. So I was just curious on a personal level, how does that work for you? You're running uh, Grownvolve, and you're hoping, I'm sure, to To, you know, to grow it and to develop it into um, an even bigger company, but at the same time, you're still you're still a doctor, right? I remember during Admocom at some point, uh, you weren't able to attend something, and one of your teammates said, "Oh, he's in surgery today." So, how does this work for you, and how how complicated is it to to balance those out? So, I, what I'm doing at the moment, I'm reducing my clinical duties uh, duties more and more. 
because um, running a company, um, it's a full-time job. And I have learned that um, if you want to do it, you have to do it right. Um, otherwise, uh, you would fail. I think now this is my lifetime project. And I decided to, to do that, go for it 100%. So I'm just as a background clinician in, in hospital, do some work for neonates, I'm on call if there's a heart transplant um, and you have to get the organ. But at the moment, I'm focusing more and more on this project uh, because I think uh, if we get this through, this will be a major, major step for our patients. They would much more profit and benefit from me doing that work instead of doing routine clinical work. How, how cool to have such a such an exciting life project, life mission. And um, definitely many of our listeners will be very envious because I think, you know, many of us are looking for our next job or our next career move, but having something like this, like a mission to say, I'm going to take this to the market and then this is going to maybe change thousands, maybe millions of lives in the long run. It's quite amazing. So tell us a little bit about uh, Grow Involve as a company. Where, where are you guys at now? What are your your biggest priorities, your biggest needs at the moment? You mentioned that you're talking to investors. Um, are you looking for investment? Yeah, tell us more about that. So we have been founded um, two years ago. Now we are at the stage that we are hiring um, professionals, for example, a chief technical officer who will help us to uh, follow the route through regulatory to market. What we still need is people for business development and for marketing. Um, because as what I said earlier, uh, we are still very much in the medical field and in the development from technical readiness level six to nine so that we can really treat a patient and it will be a major breakthrough once we have treated our first patient here in Europe. But then we have to roll out our technology, our company. And I think on this part, we are uh, still quite in the beginning. We have to hire people here. And if somebody is listening to that podcast and might be potentially interested in joining us, please contact me at any time. Sounds good. So maybe you'll get some job applications after this. <laughs> are the jobs posted somewhere on your website as well in case our listeners want to see them or do they have to get in touch personally with you? We have not yet posted any job offers on the website. Uh, so personal route would be the preferable. There you go. It's the first time you hear about this. I think that's exciting. I, I would imagine a lot of uh, a lot of people would be interested in um, in joining your mission. Are you looking for people with a medical background, or are you quite quite open to growing the interdisciplinary team you you've put together? No, we are quite strong on the medical background, but uh, now we need, as I said, people for business development and marketing and so on, and um, strategic uh, partners or strategic investors who um, know that uh, medical device development is a long way to go. We are kind of in the middle of the way, I think. But um, investors have to know that um, they have to be with us for the next five to 10 years, I think. Yeah, so definitely a more long-term commitment than some investors would prefer. But there are now more and more investors understanding the need for, for patients when it comes to, to these kind of technologies. 
So I'd like to ask you as we're um, coming close to, to the end of this episode, you've already mentioned a few wishes to hire, to find strategic investors, but if you had one big wish for your company, something you hope will happen in the next uh, one to three years, let's say, what would that be? First, it would be that our uh, application at the European Union would go through. This would be a major step because then we could um, finance our clinical studies. And then uh, I would wish that we have strong partners at our side, strong partners uh, which have the same goal as we have, which can support us um, for the next five to 10 years. That would be my, my dream, I think. Let's hope maybe someone is listening to, to this and becomes a partner or applies for a job or invests. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Boris. It's, it was really great to, to hear your story and I hope this becomes reality and a lot of children's lives get uh, improved with, with this technology. That would be amazing. I'm, I'm actually pregnant right now, Christina knows, so it's nice to hear that new technologies are being developed for, for children in case there'll be you know, any issues. So thank you so much for, for your time. We will um, keep an eye on you and uh, we'll, we'll continue supporting you best we can. Thanks to Inam and thanks to you, Christina and Antonia for having us here. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you'd like to learn more about our podcast, head to www.enum.berlin slash Startup the Science. You can also follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to leave us a message or ask us or our guests any questions, send us a DM or leave us a message on our website. We would love to hear from you. Stay tuned for our next episode. Coming soon.